You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. And it says in verse 10, And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. And here comes the problem. And here the cycle begins. We talked about this at length. It was the fault of the fathers and the mothers who were raising their children, not to teach them about God's great work. It was the fault of them. Unfortunately, The new generation had no personal relationship with God. The book of Judges tells us that the descendants of the original Jewish inhabitants of Canaan turned away from God because they hadn't been taught about Him. Pastor Dave reminds us that if we don't teach our children about God and Jesus, there's a good chance that we'll see our children turn away from God as well. Now let's turn to the second chapter of Judges and join Pastor Dave with today's edition of A Sure Hope. There was a purpose that he chose the nation Israel. Number one, Israel was supposed to give the world knowledge of the one true living God. They were supposed to be the ones who proclaimed the one true living God, Jehovah. They were the ones who were given the scriptures and they were supposed to proclaim the scriptures to all the world. And they were the ones that were to prepare the way for the Messiah. The Messiah which would come through Israel. God needed a pure bloodline. God needed his bloodline to stay intact. In order to accomplish this, Israel had to separate themselves from the world. They had to separate themselves from the world, but they failed to do this. Is it a coincidence that we studied do not be conformed to the world on Sunday? No. There's no coincidence that these things are conjoining here. What happens is quite simple. This may have happened in your life. It may be happening now. I pray not, but it might be happening now. It's very simple. We make peace with the world. And then all of a sudden we become confused between tolerance and approval. All of a sudden we think they're the same thing. The world thinks they're the same. The world thinks tolerance is approval. According to our laws of democracy, however, in this nation there's such a thing called freedom of religion. So I must practice patience and tolerance with those who who believe and practice things that I feel that God has condemned in the world. We have no authority to eliminate those people who don't agree with us. Maybe we wish we did, but we don't have the authority to do that. But we do have an obligation. We have an obligation before God to maintain a separate walk so that I won't be defiled by those I disagree with. That their sin doesn't defile me. I have that obligation. And through the help and the work of the Holy Spirit and through prayer, we can then love those in the midst of those sins and we be witnesses of them, hoping to draw some of them to Jesus Christ. But if I get too close, if I become acceptance and my approval goes into them, I'm no better than they. And where's my witness then? 
There is no difference. This is what happened to the Jews during this time. They became so accustomed to the ways of the sinful pagan people who lived there with them, it didn't even bother them anymore. They didn't even see what they were doing as sinful. See, the more and more we accept sin in our own lives, the more and more we become immune to it. It no longer becomes sin to us. The Jews eventually became curious of their neighbors. Well, how come you worship like that? What are you worshiping? And they became curious. And finally, they began living exactly like their neighbors. And hence, I guess this is where the old saying came, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. I don't know. See, for believers, the first step away from the Lord is friendship with the world. James talks about that in James 4.4. And if we walk away from the Lord and we start walking towards the world and we're friends with the world, the next thing you know, we're in love with the world. Look at 1 John 2.15. And gradually we become the Romans 12 too. We become conformed to the world. And if we're not very careful, we'll be condemned with the world. 1 Corinthians 11.32. I told you all that to get you prepared as we start chapter 2, believe it or not. As we start chapter 2 now, that's the setup for what's happening here. That's the setup. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 2, then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Children of Israel get a visitor. The angel of the Lord. Now, how bad must things be if the Lord himself is going to come down? How bad must things really be? This reminds me, remember those great big black billboards along the side of the road that used to have a saying and it said, God? My favorite one was, don't make me come down there, God. That was my favorite one. It had all kinds of different sayings like that as you drove around the highways. But here God comes to these people. It's not God, it's the Lord Jesus who is God. God comes in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a theophany. Many, many times in the Old Testament, we have a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ. He comes and he visits them. You remember, he talked to Abraham. He talked to Jacob. He talked to Moses. He's going to appear in Gideon in chapter 6. He'll appear to Samson's mother in chapter 13. And in 2 Kings 19, it was the angel of the Lord who killed 185 Assyrians. 185,000 Assyrians. Note here that the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus comes. He came from Gilgal. It's interesting that he came from Gilgal. What was so special about Gilgal? Anybody remember? Yeah. Yeah. He came from Gilgal, which is a place of purification. It was where they had the tabernacle set up. It was where after they circumcised themselves that the Lord said, I have taken away your reproach of Egypt. I, I purified you. You've taken away that. That you can find that in Joshua 5. He rolled away their approach. The Lord appeared to Joshua and he assured him. He assured him victory over the land. And there the angel of the Lord brought encouragement. But now to this new generation, the angel of the Lord is no longer bringing encouragement. He's bringing punishment. He's bringing condemnation and punishment. What's the first thing that this angel does? Now, you might say, well, how do you know it's God? Well, read the second part of the first verse. I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. Well, that's God. That's the Lord speaking. 
and I will never break my covenant with you. So the first thing we see is the Lord reminds them of his great love and faithfulness to them. He delivered them from Egypt's bondage. He's given them the abundant land of promise. He's given them a covenant that he will never, ever break. It's really interesting that before God ever calls us to obedience or even confronts our sin, he demonstrates his love for us. God demonstrated his love for us, but yet we were still sinners that Christ died on the cross. In Romans 5, verse 8, we can always look to God to find his great love and great faithfulness. We can only obey him when we are walking in his love and abiding in his covenant with us. Even though Israel never fully lived up to their end of the covenant, God said, I will never break my covenant with you. What faithfulness. What faithfulness we can draw from that. What a wonderful statement. I will never break my covenant with you. We've studied and studied how faithful God has been to the Israelites. Not one word failed of anything God said he would do. But he calls them out. He says to them, reminding him of his commands. Look at verse 3. Therefore I also said, I will not drive out them from before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and they are gods shall be a snare to you. Look at verse 2. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars. God said, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? What do you think his voice sounded like? I like to think about those kind of things. What was, what was his voice? Was it angry or was there despair? I kind of think there was despair there. I kind of think there was a, a real despair because it reminds me of a time when God called out in the Garden of Eden. When God called out. Remember? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And you can hear a cry, a passion in his voice looking for his friend, Adam. He's looking for Adam. Where are you? Adam says, I was hiding because I was naked. What? (laughs) How'd you know you were naked? Ah, you must have eaten from the tree. God knew he ate from the tree. I see the same kind of cry here. What have you done? Why have you done this? Why have you disobeyed me like this? How many of you have children that you've had to say that to? Have you done this? I told you not to do that, but you did it anyhow. Why did you do that? And it's almost like your heart's breaking because now you know you have to punish the child. You have to punish the child for breaking one of the rules of the household. And as a parent, your heart breaks because now you have to step up and you have to punish. You have to give punishment. You have to chastise. God's the same way here. He's doing it. Why have you done this? Why did you do this? I've given you everything. I'll never break my covenant with you, and here you go and break the covenant with me. Why have you been disobeyed my command? I have kept my covenant. I have turned everything to you, and you've turned away from me. Frank and I were reading this this afternoon, and the only thing that we come to mind was Jackie Gleason looking back at the Lord going, humana, 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 humana. What do you say? What do you say when the Lord's got you under the the crosshairs? He's going, why did you do that? See, there's never really a good reason for disobedience. He doesn't really give them a chance to answer. (laughs) He, he He doesn't really care why they did it. He knows why he did it. He's God. He said, therefore, why? Therefore, because you've done this, because you didn't tear down the altars, because you didn't, you didn't do the things that I've commanded you to do, I'm not going to drive them out before you. I am not going to do that. 
You have to do it yourself or I'm not going to do it. Because if you don't, they're going to be thorns in your snide. They're going to be snares for you. They're going to set traps for you. And their gods will capture you and ensnare you. Why have you done this? The commandment, you can look for yourselves if you want. Back in Numbers 33. In Numbers 33, specifically in verse 55. The Lord says to them, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. God had warned them. He had told them what was going to happen if they did not do what they were commanded to do. The angel says, okay, so be it. We're not going to go any further. The land is going to be possessed by other people. You're not going to be the sole possession of the land. There's a correction here. You're disobedient. Somehow they thought God was going to do that. Somehow they thought that God was going to do that for them. We're just going to sit back and eat bonbons and swing in our hammocks and allow you to do that for us, God. You know, it really doesn't work that way. I know people, I know people that have told me I need a job. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Well, God's going to get me a job. Okay, what are you going to do about it? And these people don't do anything. And they keep wondering, why hasn't God got me a job? How many have you applied for? Well, none. Now, let me make a point. Could God bring that phone, pick it up and say, I have a job for them? Absolutely, God could. Absolutely, my God can. Doesn't work that way all the time, however. Doesn't work that way all the time. You should be surprised at how many people think, well, God's going to do everything now. I don't have to do anything. God's going to do it all. But one thing you can be sure of, God is forever finished judging the Christian. Our judgment is done. All punishment that you or I deserved was put upon Jesus Christ on Calvary, on the cross. Yet, we punish ourselves by settling for less than what God has for us. And God will allow us to experience the bitter harvest of our choices. He will allow us to experience the bitter harvest of our choices. Sometimes, you know, you want something so bad. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to have it. You just have to have it. You pray and you pray and you pray. And finally, man, you know that you're not really not supposed to have it, but you want it so bad. God says, I've had it. That's what's happening here. You want these guys as neighbors? You want these guys as neighbors? They're yours. You can have them. We often wish that God would work and do the Christian human. I wish God would automatically make me mature in Christianity. I wish I would wake up one day and go, I'm a mature Christian. And everything would be done. I wouldn't have to worry about anything else. Sometimes God grants such a miraculous deliverance, we praise him for it. He does do that sometimes. You probably know the person who accepted the Lord and changed completely and everything else faded away and they never struggled with anything the rest of their Christianity. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people. 
But commonly, God likes to partner with you. God likes to partner with you in the process of our growth. And it's very important to God because it shows our heart where his heart is. And we truly grow close to God because of it. So we get to verse 4. I can't believe we're only in verse 4. So it was then the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of the place Bochim. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. When the people heard this, they wept. Bochim in Hebrew means weeping. But they were weeping because of the consequences, not because they disobeyed God. See, real repentance leads to change. Real repentance leads to change. We could be sorrowful, but it's a changed life that you experience real repentance. You can weep outwardly and show repentance without ever weeping inwardly. This is why the Lord challenges us in Joel. In Joel 2.13, what does the Lord say? So rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in kindness. What he means by that is every time somebody was disgusted with something in the old days, they used to rip their clothes. They used to rip their garments. It was a show of disgust. It was a show of utter contempt. The Lord's saying, don't rip your clothes. Rip your heart open. Let it sink in inwardly and show me. That's an outward motion, emotion. I'm so mad. Really? Well, change your life. It's changed. They make a sacrifice with the Lord, which is good, but it's not an act of repentance because there's no godly sorrow connected to it. Did this all take place in front of Joshua? Was Joshua too old to do anything about it? We read Joshua's death at the end of the book of Joshua. And let's look at verse 7 through 10. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnah in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. We read all that. That was at the end of Joshua. So is he rehashing all that now? To tell us the one thing we need to look at is that as long as Joshua was alive, they served the Lord. When he died, all the elders that were raised up with Joshua, they served the Lord. But then they're all dead. And it says in verse 10, And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. And here comes the problem. And here the cycle begins. We talked about this at length. It was the fault of the fathers and the mothers who were raising their children, not to teach them about God's great work. It was the fault of them. Unfortunately, the new generation had no personal relationship with God. They had no personal awareness of his power. God was someone that their parents related to and who did things for their parents' generation. And none of that was transferred down. You see a lot of that happening today, folks. A lot of it is happening today and it's scary. It really is scary what's happening to the younger generation, this new generation coming up with what they hear. See, unfortunately, true Christianity is not biologically transmitted. Because you are a Christian, you can't biologically transfer that to your children. It must be caught by each generation. I love that. Christianity is taught and caught. It's taught and caught by the new generation having their own personal relationship with God and seeing his works on their behalf. 
So this whole new generation rises up and then we have a problem. You can see that at the beginning in verse 11. Look at verse 11. The cycle begins. And now from verse 11 through verse 23, it's almost like we have another outline to the book of Judges. It's almost like we have another outline of what's going on. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Wow. Israel begins to serve other gods. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. I think this is interesting, and I really dwelt on this for a minute. Bear with me here. It's interesting. When we think we're doing something in private, when we think that we're all alone and nobody's around, you know, nobody's looking over our shoulder, we're on the internet doing our thing, we're doing this thing and we're doing that thing, you know, we're talking to this person or that person or viewing these pictures or that people or pictures and, or we're doing all this stuff, nobody knows. Evil in sight of the Lord. I believe in my heart that the definition of integrity should be that what you do when no one's looking That what you do when no one's watching you. I believe that should be the definition of integrity. What do you do when no one's looking? Clearly right there, if you look at the words, it said, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord saw their evilness. The Lord saw all their evilness. Well, our God is all-knowing. He's all-knowledgeable. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And when we're doing those type of things, God sees. And the biggest thing we say to ourselves is, who would know? Who would know? Yeah, God knows. God sees. They were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals, which are gods of weather. They served Eshtoreth, which is a goddess of fertility. They served the Baals. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Oh my. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There should be no craven images. They should not worship those things. This is terrible. They forsook the Lord. What does that mean? That means they turned their back on God. They turned their back on God. They forgot all that the Lord had done for them. It was like they were rewriting history and they were leaving God out of that. And folks, I don't know if you know this, but you should. The textbooks for today have rewritten history. History has been rewritten to form to the liberal place. History books have been rewritten, folks. And it's a sad thing when you see how terrible these books have been written. They're leaving out anything that has to do with Christianity, anything that has to do with godliness, anything that has to do with the way the country was founded. They're changing the history books. This is something that Hitler and Mussolini did. Hitler and Mussolini changed the history of their countries. The history books are being changed. They're leaving out stuff. This is a scary place to be. This is a scary place to be. You are sure. The Old Testament book of Judges that you've been studying with Pastor Dave Shank gives you a glimpse into the intriguing history of the nation of Israel. The Israelites seem to cycle through a pattern. They follow God, turn away from Him, become aware of their sin, and finally repent and step back onto God's path. Each time, God brings a judge to lead them creatively back to Himself. 
showing His power and mercy time and time again. Israel's history is one we still see today. Many people fall into the same cyclical relationship with God. They follow Him for a time, fall into sin, and need to be reminded of their errors. God is always faithful to forgive, though, when you come to Him in repentance. His mercy is new every day, and He's big enough to cover every mistake from your life. We're so glad you tuned in today to Assure Hope. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard. If you have any questions about this ministry, or if you want to know more about the forgiveness God can offer you, please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. We'd love to pray with you, and we'll do our best to answer your questions. That phone number again is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from Assure Hope, just visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Be sure to check out the service times and directions to Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Thanks for being part of our time here today on Assure Hope.